Alright, folks, I got another one. Ooh, excuse me. This is from Newman, Volume 2, The Religion of Genghis Khan. This is, a, a, this is an article on jstore.org. The religion of Genghis Khan, Emperor of the Mongols, about whose romantic conquests much has been written, must remain largely a matter of conjecture and theory. But the subject is important from the point of view of the impact of animism and, or and original monotheism. Did monotheism precede animism among the Mongolians, or was it contemporary with or developed from it? Alright, let's try this again. Um, did monotheism precede animism among the Mongolians, or was it contemporary <clears throat> with or developed from it? Did Temuchin, as a youth, have the same idea of God as he had when he died as Genghis Khan, or had he been subtly influenced by Nestorian Christianity or Mohammed, Mohammedanism? Mohammedanism, with with both of which he had contacts in later life, though he embraced neither faith. For he remained a deist supported by shamanism. There may be many sources of information about his life history, but these are not all easily available to students of the religion of Mongolia at that period. Whatever the religious views of his tribesmen may have been, Genghis Khan was certainly the man to crystallize and consolidate them in the same way as he consolidated the loose tribes which afterwards formed his empire. My chief sources of information for these notes on the religion of Genghis Khan are Professor B. Y. A. Vladimir Stovs, The Life of Genghis Khan, translated into English by Prince D. S. Mirsky, and Genghis Khan, the Emperor of All Men by Harold Lamb. Ethnologists who have studied Mongolian history will understand the social organization of the tribes at the time of Genghis Khan, whose work of consolidation and conquest raised him to the status of emperor. Vladimir Stov gives us the following details. Nomad tribes were divided into clans, Omuk, that were further subdivided into subclans or bones yasun sometimes several clans would coalesce into a tribe or small nation the relation of a class to a tribe ulus or confederation of tribes ol was the same as that of an individual member family or bone to the clan there were two main sections, the pastoralists of the steppe and the hunters of the forest. The pastoral ones had, as a rule, an aristocratic family, 
from whose ranks came the individual leader. The leaders of tribes or other confederations bore the title of Khan or of Kagan, emperor. The forest clans often had for their heads shamans, magicians who were reputed to have intercourse with the spirits. The shamans who were heads of tribes were called Beki, B-E-K-I. Below the aristocracy were the commoners and the slaves. The clans were exogamous. Sometimes marriageable women were kidnapped. Sometimes there were arrangements for the mutual exchange of women. The respective members of two clans which had an which had entered on such an agreement called each other Kuda, K-U-D-A. The aristocratic young herdsmen, through many family and tribal adventures, gradually began to realize what he considered to be his divine mission to be the emperor of all men. But to have a divine mission implies a recognition of the divinity who imposes the mission, a god who rules the affairs of the world and mankind. It would be interesting if it were possible to trace the gradual evolution of the idea of god in the mind of this wild young Mongolian from his first conception of the divine as revealed by the everlasting blue sky to the time when he was able to promulgate the personification of god in his first law of his yasa, jasak or yasak. Interesting, yasa is spelled Y-A-S-S-A. It is ordered to believe that there is only one God, creator of heaven and earth, who alone gives life and death, riches and poverty, as pleases him and who has over everything an absolute power. It rather seems that this crystallization of nebulous ideas of God may have been precipitated by contact with Nestorian Christians or Mohammedans. In addition to his Yasa or Code of Laws, Genghis Khan also caused his Belek or sayings to be committed to writing, although he could neither read nor write himself. But only fragments of his laws and sayings survive, chiefly in allusions by Chinese and Muslim writers. I don't know. The young Temujin's first acknowledgement of a divine intervention in his affairs seemed to have been connected with a mountain. Hearing that a band of Merkits who had raided his clan had been driven off, he descended the mountain where apparently he had been in concealment, struck his breast and exclaimed, Mount Burkhan has, pr has protected my miserable life. Henceforward I will ever sacrifice to it and bequeath to my sons and grandsons the duty of sacrificing to it. After that, Temuchin loosened his belt and hung it round his neck, took off his cap, and hung it on his hand, then striking his breast, he knelt down nine times and made a libation of, of fermented mare's milk. That was at the time 
That was at that time the Mongol way of worshipping their sacred objects. By taking off cap and belt, they expressed their complete submission to the supreme will. For cap and belt worn in the usual way were for the Mongols the symbol of their owner's personal freedom. Vladimir Stuff. The shamanist Mongols also worshipped at that time a spirit of light, and it is thought that the name Chinggis may refer to the spirit of light, Khan meaning emperor. Chinggis might also mean perfect warrior, Chinese Chengzi. Many of the Mongols regarded Temujin as predestined by the sky, and Temujin himself believed in the everlasting sky's intervention in his destiny. He regarded the everlasting blue sky, Mong Tengri, as the supreme deity above the gods he worshipped. Instead of the word gods, it would be better to substitute spirits. We might perhaps call them angels. Huh, interesting. It was the shamanist magicians who were reported to have intercourse with the spirits. Chinggis or Genghis Khan introduced a definite religious idea into the political conception of his own suzer, suzerainty, suzerainty, what? suzerainty. The shaman Kokchu at the Kuril Thai parliament of 1206 AD announced that the everlasting blue sky favored Chinggis Khan, who was its own preordained envoy on earth. Chinggis himself readily accepted this view. The sky has ordered me to govern all peoples, he said. The white banner on nine legs was then inha inhabited by the guardian genius of Chinggis clan. The banner, Sulde, would protect his troops and lead them to victory. He would conquer all peoples, for the everlasting blue sky has ordained so. Chinggis was Khan by the power of the eternal sky, Monge Tengri, Ying Kuchundur. The importance of banners as afterwards indicating regimental formations is described by Owen Lattimore in his work the mongols of manchuria for centuries after his death the mongolians believed that the soul of the great emperor had itself entered the sulde banner and that he himself became the guardian genius of his glorious clan harold lamb tells us an echo of his genghis khan's longing for men is heard in his prayer he was accustomed to go to the summit of a bare mountain, which he believed to be the abiding place of the Tengri, the spirits of the upper air that loosed the whirlwinds and thunder, and all the awe-inspiring phenomena of the boundless sky. He prayed to the quarters of the four winds, his girdle over his shoulders. Illimitable heaven, do then favor me. Send the spirits of the upper air to, befri to befriend me, but on earth send men to aid me. That even rhymed. And men flocked to the standard of the nine yak tails in great numbers.
On one occasion before starting for a campaign into China, Chinggis Khan consecrated himself by shutting himself up in his tent, remaining there for three days, the surrounding soldiers and people exclaiming at intervals, in the meanwhile, Tengri, Tengri, sky, sky. On the fourth day, he came out of his tent and announced that the everlasting sky granted him victory and that now... They were to go and punish the kins. So the religion of this nomad potentate seems to have been a belief in God, the supreme being, and also in guardian spirits who for him took the place of the angels of later religions. One wonders what were the concepts of the supreme being in, in vogue among peoples allied to the Mongolians, such as the Orochis and the Eskimo, at that period of Asiatic history, the pagan Orochis, Orochis, at least up to the 20th century AD, recognized a supreme divinity whom they called Anduri. Anduri. And two subordinate ones come Changa, the god of the dry land, and Yemu, the god of the sea. With regard to Chinese ideas of the supreme being, Frank Rawlinson's work may be consulted. A Roman Catholic missionary to the Eskimo, Father R. Bulliard, who published a book called Inuk in 1953, remarked, on the ancient religion they must once have had, I have reached the conclusion that God was regarded as primary, but just too remote to be interested in the affairs of lowly mortals. We find the same kind of religion in Siberia and Mongolia, and the same assignment of intermediary power to a class of men, the shamans. The word shaman itself is Mongolian, and there is no doubt that the that the Eskimo brought the tradition of shamanism with them when they crossed Bering Strait. Vaguely, most of them agree that they did recognize a kind of god of god called Atanek, the chief, perhaps of the perhaps a comparatively recent invention. Okay, so if the word shaman itself is Mongolian and Genghis Khan is Mongolian and he basically conquered pretty much the whole known world back then, then yeah, I'm sure that word shaman or words that sound like it probably definitely entered the language of the people who got conquered. Alright. So like, let's say shaman, you can say saman, saman, soman. It's like, you can, yeah, it's just playing off of that sound. Saman. Yeah, okay, anyways. One must now question what were the attributes of God as Genghis Khan understood them. It is ordered to believe there is only one God. But he evidently believed in guardian spirits, perhaps we might call them angels, creator of heaven and earth. This concept of the creative energy of God must have been a great advance on the contemporary beliefs 
of most of the Mongolian peoples at that time. God is all-powerful. He is the source of life. He can give life or take it away again. He is the great dispenser and judge. He can give riches and poverty as pleases him. Sounds like Job. He is the great controller of the affairs of men. He has over everything an absolute power. These concepts presuppose the omnipresence and omniscience of God from the terms used by Genghis Khan and from what he thought were God's personalistic relationships, especially his intervention in Genghis Khan's own life affairs, one must conclude that he believed in God as a person. But Genghis Khan does not seem to have laid stress on the moral and ethical attributes of God, but he recognized that God is a God who answers prayer, hence his three days retreat for that purpose of praying for victory. With regard to shamanism, when Fra Rubruquis, an emissary of Louis of France, entered several years later into the presence of the grandson of Genghis Khan, the Khan said, We Mongols believe there is but one God. God has given to you the scriptures, and you believe them not. But he has given to us soothsayers, and we do what they bid us, and live in peace. Genghis Khan died in the year AD 1227, the year of the mouse in the cycle of the twelve beasts. His body was interred on Mount Burkhan Khaldan. Huh, I wonder if that's a volcano. At the spot that had been indicted by himself while alive, once when hunting on that mountain, he had rested in the shade of a tree, thinking it would make an appropriate spot for his grave. This place is apt for my last resting place, let it be noted, he said. But the emperor's burial place has never been found, nor apparently the identification of the mountain. Hmm, interesting. Harold Lamb mentions a mountain, Teligun Poldak not in connection with his burial which sheltered Genghis Khan's birthplace. Could this be Burkhan under another name? In M. Quatermere's translation of part of the Jami Uttavarik Rashid El Rashid El Din states that Genghis Khan was buried at a hill called Yaka Kuruk near Urga, but this is doubtful. The philosophy of this savage of genius, as Harold Lamb called him, may be summed up in his own phrase, the sky has ordered me to rule all nations. <laughs> and I will leave it at that. Genghis Khan was one interesting motherfucker. Peace.